0: When you need a little understanding from your so called friends, and you find the road to travel down is coming to a dead end, when suddenly you find yourself lost.
1: Welcome to our Airwaves, Valerie Simpson. You know Valerie Simpson, Nick Ashford, and Valerie Simpson are the writers of so many of the songs that we all grew up with that we all love. And more than songwriters, you guys are also radio radio veterans. You did a morning show here <laughs> in New York. You have mm-hmm. a restaurant you have a restaurant, you have a restaurant that's still going on. You amazing. Valerie, welcome. How are you?
0: I'm good.
1: Let's start.
0: Lovely, lovely
1: uh, to talk. Thank you. Let's start with your, your this incredible career. I saw a PBS a documentary you did with my friend Gwen Eiffel, who of course left us all too early. Oh yeah. And one of the yes, and one of the things that you said in it that just struck me near the beginning of the interview was that you had found your soulmate with Nicholas Ashford, with Nick Ashford. And Mm. that there was nothing the two of you did not say to each other during the time that you had.
0: That's true. That's true. You know, I I know I was very fortunate because uh, uh, not many people can say that, you know, that they can work with somebody and love that somebody. And still, I felt like we didn't have enough time together as much as we were together.
1: Now, you met, according to what I've read, you you met in 1964. Right. What, what was that like? What, 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 how did this happen? At a church, well, you met, yeah, you
0: know. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, because I was just, you know, in my last year of, of uh, high school, and so it was, the world was still new to me. And I didn't know which way I was going. And music wasn't even an idea in my mind at the time so that avenue just opened up as something you know that I had to just jump in without being able to swim just jump into it because I loved it so much and I didn't even know there was a career possible in that area but uh, he was the right person and uh, you know we had the skills that complemented each other and so it worked.
1: You were, at the time, you were already playing piano. You were a pianist at the time?
0: Right. hmm And, and uh, mm-hmm. that's, you know, so that, you know, he had great lyrics. He had written gospel songs. I had never even written a song at that point. But because <laughs> I could play so well and he had words, we just, it just worked out.
1: So you began your career as staff songwriters with Scepter Records, and that's you. Right. And I did not know this, I, I, sadly. with yeah. <laughs> Let's go get stoned, the Ray Charles classic. That's one of yours.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did, I mean, uh, you know, coming out of church, that's not usually the first kind of song you write, but <laughs> it was for
1: us. <laughs> all right, so talk to us about the Motown years. You, how did you get to Motown? What was it like? Did you move to Detroit? How did how did all that work?
0: Well, actually, um, someone gave uh, Holland Doge and Holland, who were the primary uh, writers for the Supremes, Mm -hmm. our number. And uh, they came to New York scouting writers for Motown, and they got our number. And uh, uh, we had some demos, and Nick went to the hotel. He almost blew it because they took so long to get to him. He was about to go down in the elevator. And then they came out and said, oh, no, we really want to see you. And then he took the, you know, the meeting, and they liked what they heard and sent us a ticket to Motown.
1: Goodness. So here you are in Motown. Now, at this point, is this all still new to you, or are you figuring, well, this is, uh, this is the next step in, our, in the evolution?
0: Oh, mean that was a songwriter's dream. I mean, they had everybody in the world you know, on the label and everybody we loved. And so, to just to be around that, you know, influx of, of artists, not to worry about who's going to sing the song because they had everybody. It was just like a, a writer's dream. So we were thrilled.
1: What was the, what was your first Motown hit? Do you remember which one? Because you had so you've had so many.
0: Well, the first one uh, we sent in was Ain't No Mountain High Enough of Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell.
1: And of course, that is so iconic. You know, looking over the discography, um, your songs one of the things that I I don't know, maybe resent is not the right word. I, I see some of the biographies of Ashford and Simpson and some of them say R and B right. No, you're not R and B writers. You you got not that there's anything wrong with that, but your music has transcended all categories. The songs that you have written have been in over 200, 250 different soundtracks, it's movies, it's games, it's everywhere there is music that you I'm have become.
0: It. I'm thrilled mm-hmm. about it. you know, and I, I also give Barry Gordy a lot of credit for that because he saw the, uh, he made sure that we weren't boxed into uh, a, a box, like an R&B box that you couldn't get out of. He saw the necessity of making those songs standards. So, you know, I love that idea that uh uh he could he was looking into the future and seeing that they would have a longer life than we even dreamed. So, that was his vision.
1: What what was it like working with Barry Gordy?
0: Well, the idea that he was a good songwriter himself, uh, you know, said a lot. Uh because he could argue a song with you and and come up with some good, you know, Bounce points, you know, sometimes you might want to concede to what he was saying and sometimes you didn't Uh, But he was a good songwriter. So it was you know, it's not like a regular President of a record label who doesn't know anything about songs he knew
1: Right and you were around other talent. I'm I'm sure we talked with Smokey Robinson a few weeks ago and one of the things that Smokey was uh, mentioned was the fact that he was was actually one of the people that was, in addition to writing songs, in addition to being out with the Miracles, he was also recruiting and and bringing other artists in. What was the interaction that you had with some of the other artists on 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 Motown? You were working with the greats. You were working with Marvin and Marvin and Tammy, Dinah Ross, the Supremes were there, Gladys Knight, and you've penned a few songs for Gladys Knight and the Pips. Right. Uh, yeah. Martha and the Vandellas. I mean, as you said, there was everybody that was on the charts then. They just had an amazing run like we've never probably seen in a record label that started in a house, in a home.
0: (laughs) Part of the beauty was that he kept us close to each other. You were in a room working on a song sometimes that was right next to Norman Whitfield or, or, or Smokey. And so you got to hear what they were doing. So it made you sharpen your tools. You didn't want to come up, you know, short. Because there was such great music around you. It made you work for it. It was almost like going to a musical college. And uh, uh, I think our songs wouldn't have been as good if we had just kept them isolated. But we were aware. And, you know, when we would go down in the studio and, and produce our songs, they would be up in the control room listening seeing what oh, we wow. were doing. So, you know, you were always in competition. And I love that about it. You know, it really kept you sharp.
1: Now, you also did a, had a solo career that was brilliant. I got to tell you, one of my favorite songs was from your second solo album, uh, Silly Wasn't I? I. The first time I... I fell in love with that song the first time I heard it. And <laughs> it... Yeah, what was... <laughs> What was well, your you solo? Know, the funny,
0: thing, the funny <laughs> thing about that song was uh, that was during the period uh, Nick and I were not a couple yet. We were just, you know, songwriting partners, and uh, he told me that there was some girl he took out, and you know, then she kept coming to his door and knocking on the door, and he didn't really want to see her anymore. And then she wrote him a note and said, well, I thought you liked me. I thought we had a good time. You know, and I thought we'd get to go, you know, go out again. Silly, wasn't (gasps) I? And that's what she said to him. And uh, so he came in with that title and we wrote the song.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You weren't a couple at that point.
0: Nope.
1: What took you so long?
0: Well, I think in the beginning, uh, you know, like I said, I was in high school. He was homeless when he first got here. He had to go through so many more things. And uh, it just, you know, I'm glad it worked out that way because uh, it gave us time to know each other in the real sense. You know how when you put on, the, you, you know, you try to make yourself special for a guy, you know, and so, you, you, you know, you, it, there was no, by the time it hit us, that we had something personal, uh, all the games were, had been you know, played out. So it was good.
1: Wow. And, of course, talk to us a minute about the – let's move away from music for just a second. So you've, you've had this incredible career. You had moved over after Motown. You went over, of course, to uh, Warner Brothers. And in those records that you did with Warner Brothers, Ashford and Simpson now – A performing group, now a recording group. Well, before we move away from music. So, was that a difficult transition or was it just a natural let's do this? How did that come about?
0: Well, our seven years at Motown were up, you know, and whether we signed again and stayed was the question, or do we, uh, Barry told us that we could be recording artists, but we thought, you know, he saw us as a production writing team first and foremost so we felt if we go somewhere else we can be the new kids so that's why we left because we wanted to have another you know aura around us and uh that was really the you know the main thing you know it's hard to be the new kids on the block when you've been there for seven years so
1: (laughs) and of course your your record solid as a rock i mean it's still in fact, that the phrase had you introduced a phrase into the American lexicon that still remains solid as a rock. And it's been used in commercials. The song, of course, has been used everywhere Um, in, in terms of people using it to market their own goods and products. It was an amazing thing that you had. You also uh, is it still good to you? Those albums did spectacularly well for you guys.
0: Yeah, they, you know, it took a. It took a minute, you know, we had to uh, pretty much learn how to be artists, Uh, but uh, they got better, I think. And um, there are certainly some songs there that, uh, to this day, I still love, even from the early, early albums. So, you know, and and you grow into it. I mean, Nick was, he he was very nervous on stage. We'd have to put towels under his arms he was sweating so much <laughs> i mean we were just novice you know we we were not artists but we would get on the stage and then we'd sing something that we wrote and then the crowd would say ah oh, i know that you know so it gave us time to get better
1: wow so you had to i love this phrase you had to learn how to be artist, even though you had been around this now for over a decade and you had been successful i mean yours was the was one of the when people talk about it which i find amazing when people talk about uh, the the motown artist and the songwriters they all come through everybody knows smokey was a great songwriter but but you guys carved out a niche for yourself i mean people even back then knew who you were as songwriters and that was a little bit unusual holland dozier holland same thing people knew who was? Uh, there were a lot of people in the consumer world that actually were following who was who was writing these who the who the songwriters were on some of these songs that love so much. So here you are, you have a very successful career as songwriters. songwriter. What did it take to learn how to be an artist? What was that learning? How do you, you mentioned he was nervous? Were you nervous at all?
0: Yeah, sure, but not to the extent that I was, you know, perspiring. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's another, another fit. And, you know, you don't just ordin- – how to make an audience love you is just not a given. It just doesn't happen. You have to win them, you know. You know and also your vocal prowess has to be strong. And, you know, you can get hoarse, you know, and, and, and not be able to hit the notes you put on the record, you know, and all of that stuff. So it, it takes a lot to be an artist. I mean, I'm even having trouble now. I mean, whereas I was used to being a, in a duet, so now I have the whole stage, and it's a different thing. It's mm-hmm. a different set, you know, how to reach the whole audience. Uh, so I, I find that uh, each thing has its, its, its top layer that you want to get to. Uh, and, and I have a lot of respectful artists who can reach out and grab an audience and hold them for an hour and a half or two hours.
1: Wow. What was it like working with, uh, let's say, rather than, me ask, who were your favorite artists to work with?
0: Uh, Marvin Gaye was just the best. Uh, he was so giving uh, to all the women that he sang with, uh, and he made them all better. And uh, he was absolutely my favorite. And absolutely watching him sing in a studio, I would forget that we were the producers because he was—he gave it his all. You know, you, you know it, his uh, recordings were like a performance. I wish we had had enough sense then to have a camera that we had had him under constant surveillance because he was that good.
1: I saw a YouTube video of him doing a rehearsal, and he was sitting on a couch. He was actually almost laying on the couch when he started, and his voice was so amazing. His performance was so, and and I I think I read a biography of him and said he actually changed his style in later years and started using a softer voice to sing, and he got more out of it than Mm. ever before this was an, and he was also a really amazing arranger oh, a lot yeah. of those yeah the yeah. originals all of those songs he did that that song on the uh, renaissance album with the miracles i love you secretly which to me i'm surprised no one's ever covered that song it's just a, a beautiful ri- beautifully written song so who are some of your favorite songwriters
0: well um i like you know uh All of the Motown writers, you know, they all had different gifts, and they gave you different things. So, you know, they were all favorites of mine uh, as well. So I don't know if you're referring to those years. Uh,
1: Not just those years. For instance, I've always been amazed at the success that Rod Temperton had over the years as a song. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then there have been several others. I mean, even going through, I I mean, I like everything. So to me, I listen to Antonio Carlos O'Beam and – and the things that he wrote with, uh, and actually introducing uh, the bossa nova and the samba into the American uh, soundtrack, and he was an amazing writer. So I, I mean, just in general, I have so many favorite. I
0: writers, like. I mean, I you know, I even did some early background work with um, uh, Hal David and uh, Bert Bacharach. Oh, you um, did. And yeah, uh, for Dion, and and I love their their songs. Uh, the the intricacies of their songs uh, and the way Bert uh, orchestrated. So, yeah, uh, they were a combination that I loved very much.
1: Let's talk radio for a minute. What,
0: what compelled
1: you guys to do a, a radio program?
0: Well, um, Vinny Brown, who was a, a friend came over to the house and suggested it. And uh, he wanted us to do the five to seven slot. And so that was like something intriguing and new. And uh, we just said yes. And uh, we tried out a couple times late, late at night and found that we liked it. And the thing that I liked the most was also that we added in... uh, like a in-the-spotlight kind of thing where we'd have an artist come in and sing live. And I would play and unrehearsed. And that was so much fun. We really had a kick doing that. I mean, we had everybody from Wilson Pickett to James Ingram to Stephanie Mills. I mean, any it, they would all come up and sing. And so oh. that was fun to do. Uh, and it also... it. Almost pertain to performing in the sense that you didn't want dead air. You, you know, you had to think of something to say. So it, it teaches you a different skill, and so we enjoyed that for. two, I think maybe we did it for like three years, but uh, Nick kind of tired of it. You yeah, know?
1: getting up at three o'clock in the morning every month. It's your. Oh, this is, I think, a lot of people don't understand no, one no, no, of the no. things this about.
0: From, no, it was five to seven
1: in the evening evening right okay so, okay
0: it wasn't bad <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i thought it was some, for some reason i had in my mind it was morning shows that you did. it was it was so in I the evening did
0: the mor- I, during that period i was a case did the morning and we did the evening
1: ah okay yes now the restaurant business how is that mm-hmm. is it your your daughters that are running the restaurant business is that how that goes?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I have a good manager, but my daughters oversee it, and um, it's more a club restaurant, you know, because it's, again, the platform of of live music plays a very important part in the restaurant. And we have some phenomenal talent that comes through, and I mean, I've seen kids go from uh, that stage, that small stage, to the Broadway stage. Um, when Color Purple was looking for a, a, a Sugar Avery, uh, he called me, and she did, and we sent a girl who left our little stage and be, went on to Broadway. So, I mean, anything can happen. People come in and get good gigs, you know, uh, and uh, it's very inspiring to hear what the future looks like. And so I get to hear the new voices and uh, watch them grow. So it's, you know, it's quite an experience.
1: Now, going back to relationships. You and Nick were together for so many years. You work together. How do you work together, keep a marriage together and keep it all running smoothly? Each a marriage can be a difficult thing as many people know. So how do you how do you keep everything running smoothly when you're also working with the person and you're with all the years that you guys put together? How do you keep that going?
0: Well, I think I picked the right person, you know, uh, the right yin to the right yang. You know, it has to be that you balance each other out. Um, I was very fortunate. He was a good-looking man and he was very romantic. And uh, I was just very fortunate to, to pick somebody that I could be honest with tell the truth Mm -hmm. to and not hit below the belt. Ah. Um, uh, You know, and it has to be a great respect if you have a respectful person. You you know, you want to, you might want to win an argument, but not at all costs that you would hit below the belt. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, if anything, I felt like we didn't have enough time together. I mean, because we were always working. uh, So, but uh, it was, you know. So you're performing
1: 36 years?
0: Yeah, a marriage.
1: Wow. You still have a lot of career, a lot of life left. You're still young and beautiful. What is it that you want to do? You're performing. Where can people find you, by the way? You're performing locally.
0: Yeah, I'm doing a Sony musical. uh And uh, it's, you know, like I say, it's a new experience having to satisfy the whole audience and reach out from the stage all the way across. And uh, also being that outgoing, because before, as a part of a duet, you balance yourself. You don't overshoot your partner. Uh, you know, do things that you think will upstage that person. But now I can be as flamboyant as I want to be. So I have to figure <laughs> out how far I can go, you know, and what I can do to enjoy myself and, and please the audience. And it's it's not so easy, but, you know, having fun. Um,
1: you still enjoy it, it.
0: Yeah, I do. I really, really do. Wow.
1: Okay, Valerie Simpson, thank you so much spending this time with us you are an icon and oh, really? you have ma- no seriously you know it's one thing to write a song but it's another thing when your songs become part of people's lives you know what i mean you when people hear your songs they not only hear the beautiful music they not only hear uh what you have created but they also relate incidents or things in their lives to those songs and those songs have really? deep meaning for people and I'm sure you hear that all the time. People tell you how, how your songs have affected their lives.
0: I do. And, I, you know, that pleases me more than anything. I, I think, uh, you know, like the song, like Ain't No Mountain, when, when, when people, even though we wrote it first as a love song, I think the fact that Nick came to the house and said, you know, the buildings look like mountains to me. He said, but I'm determined that New York is not going to take me down. He said, I'm going to make it here. And that's how we wrote Ain't No Mountain High Enough. So that is the feeling that people get, this overcoming. I'm going to, at all costs, I can still make it. you know. And that's why they feel something, because it was born into the lyric.
1: Right, right. One of your songs, by the way, affects me like that. A tried, tested, and found true. You know, I mean, that. <laughs>
0: That's a good one too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah,
1: and well, good ones. I mean, they could go on all day. Clouds with Chaka Khan. I mean oh. that clouds, yeah. and you got the best out of Chaka's vocals on that because I mean, it just oh, yeah. she was able to use her entire range on that song. It's a that song is so well produced and it's such a beautifully written song. You know,
0: that was produced by Riz Martini. He, he's a, he was a genius. Yes.
1: Yeah, I had the opportunity to uh, go to a session that he was um, that was I think during one of her second albums. I was there with a friend of mine and um, watching him produce it was the man was just pure genius.
0: Indeed indeed.
1: You have spent a lifetime with geniuses. I will tell you that to, to us you are a genius yourself. And again, Valerie, I just cannot thank you enough for spending the time with us and sharing some of your reflections. Quite amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Valerie Simpson, ladies and gentlemen.